Industry is an informative and fun deep dive into the workers behind the professions. I'm your host, Cassie Townsend, a jackout of all trades. We're going to cover the ins and outs of jobs, careers, and the daily grind that led professionals to where they are and where they're going. On today's show, we're going to talk with an archaeologist by the name of Alum. Hello, Alum, and welcome to Work History. Hello, Cassie. Hi. Oh, this is so wonderful. Um, so my first question for you is, what is an archaeologist? An archaeologist is a person that studies human history. Human um, history. Yes, specifically human history. We get confused with paleontologists a lot, and that's dinosaurs. Humans didn't exist then. Okay, okay, that makes sense then. All right, um, so what about human history? Like an archaeologist, when I think of an archaeologist, I think common misconception is Indiana Jones and, as you mentioned, dinosaurs. Uh, so archaeologists, oh, or the mummy. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine that, like mm-hmm. digging and dusty areas. Um, so is that is that applicable to what you do? Yes, we do dig in dusty areas. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of different fields of archaeology. Um, there's some that just work in labs. Uh, oh. And then there's other archaeologists that go out and do uh, site excavations, uh, sites that we already know exist. We're going to go out and collect all of the data from that site, bring it back to the lab, and then have somebody process it at the lab. Wow. But then there's also people that go out and find those sites. And that's mainly what I do. I am a uh, cultural resources specialist. And that's basically I go out in front of construction projects and test all of the areas that they're going to be disturbing to put in infrastructure like roads to make sure there's no sites in the way. And if there are sites, I want to make sure that we're not going to be losing any of our history if they remove that site. Oh, wow. So so if there's like the original birthplace of George Washington or something, you, you definitely won't put a freeway through it. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Neat. That's really cool. So um, what are you looking for when you go out to these sites? Uh, we are looking for uh, prehistoric or historic artifacts, <clears throat> first of all, to establish whether or not there was a site there to begin with. If we find artifacts, say we find a prehistoric site, uh, and... We found some flakes and maybe some stone tools like projectile points or scrapers or something like that. We will analyze what we found based on how much we sampled in that area. Okay. And we will make a decision based on that whether or not we want to go in and excavate more because we think, oh, this is a significant site we found pottery here and we didn't think this culture had pottery at that time. Maybe there's a trade network. Wow. We need to do more excavations and we'll go from shovel testing, which are just small holes that test in a grid, to actual uh, units that are squares. Okay. Uh, I'm going to scoot this real quick. Again, I don't have uh, money for editing right now, so you hear something weird, it's staying in. <laughs> Join me on Patreon, please. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, patreon.com slash work history. Anyway, uh, okay, so <clears throat> I've been to the La Brea Tar Pits, mm-hmm. and I've seen a saber-tooth dig site. Uh, they, they still have live and active dig sites 
at the La Brea Tar Pits in Los Angeles, which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty cool. I happened to work at a building like two blocks away, but um, and I would go there on my lunch. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, it was really great because it's a free park. You know, you just mm-hmm. walk around. But the saber tooth, or rather, not just saber tooth lion, but um, tiger saber tooth saber tooth something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just them, but they're they're finding all sorts of animals down there because it's the tar pit. So mm-hmm. lots of things have died in that. Um, but I did get to see what you were talking about about the the shovel test. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed about that that I thought was interesting that our you general listener might not know is that it's cordoned off into squares and and each I'm not sure how they they know what square they're digging in but I remember that it was just a bunch of squares and it was kind of like Tetris mm-hmm. uh, so do you understand that and and could you explain it <laughs> uh, that's part of the scientific method we want to be able to organize all of our data strategically we okay. want to know we tested this amount of soil and we had this amount of artifacts that came out of it, so we can judge the density by volume of soil matrix that we've moved. And we can judge whether or not this is a extensive site or not, if it's just a scatter based on volume of artifacts versus volume of matrix, soil matrix. Wow. And then the grid tells us exactly where we found that, so we can hone in on the hot spots. Because if we take our soil samples back to the lab and they process it later, they don't know what our site looked like. Right. We can look at our little tags that we put in there and go, okay, well, this came out of the B5 unit and it's at this depth and we moved this much soil and so we got this many artifacts. And we can put it on a chart and it makes a beautiful little graph for us. Cool. Do you have, is it like the Thomas Guide for those old people from Los Angeles area who had a map? You probably didn't have a Thomas Guide. But, um... Thomas Guide was a, a map, a very big map uh, in California of the Los Angeles SoCal area. And it was um, a grid set up. So you said B5. Mm-hmm. I knew that if I turned to, if I found the B5, B was, the letters were vertical, the, the numbers were horizontal. And so if you go to the big map and you're looking for san fernando valley for like north hollywood you could see oh that's and i don't remember the call letters or anything that's ba5 and then you could flip to the page that was ba5 and see a smaller or a more zoomed in version of Mm -hmm. that so is that kind of like yeah it's kind of like that um it's very situational how we set up our grids because sometimes we have multiple sites in an area and we'll label each site something And it doesn't matter. We know the general distance from each other, but we're relating them to those three different sites, for example. Or if it's one site that's just really spread out, we may chop that site into smaller pieces and give those areas different blocks. Okay. So. Cool. So you sometimes name them different? Yeah. Well, all of the sites will get a, a site number. And those are trinomials. They get the state's identifying number it gets the state's uh, abbreviation and then it gets the site's specific number and that goes in a giant data database that every all the archaeologists can access so they know oh they found a site over here let's look and see if there's other sites in the area and they can look it up and go oh 41 k or uh, kn 
362. Oh, okay, well, that's a very similar site. It's only 40 meters from here. This might actually be a connected site. Oh, okay. That's then, cool. Yeah, they can look up the, oh, well, this is prehistoric and this is archaic. Okay, it's a different time period, you know. Got it. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, this is probably just a museum for the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Very awesome. That's that's so intriguing and interesting. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So what is your typical day at, uh, for archaeology My typical day for CRM archaeology is actually very boring and tedious. Tell me everything. I dig a lot of empty holes. Okay. We will get a line. Most of the time it's a line. We're putting in transmission lines or pipelines or something like that. Most of the time it's a line. Every now and then I get to do a square. So I'll go out and I go, okay, well, here's our line. There's these areas here that we've deemed possible uh, site locations because uh, maybe it's close to a water source or a source for chert for them to make their tools or something. There's something that triggers us to go, okay, we definitely want to check this area. Mm-hmm. And we'll go out there and we'll test down the line. And depending upon how likely or its location or the state's jurisdiction or their laws, because it's different all over the place, mm-hmm. we will test, say, every 100 <coughs> meters. We will put a shovel test specifically on the line. It can't vary more than 14 feet from side to side. It's got to be oh, pretty exact. Yeah. yeah. We have very accurate GPS devices that help us plot our holes and we put them on a map so everybody can see them again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'll go out there and go, okay, well, this is however many miles long. We'll dig this many shovel tests, and I'll go out there with a the partner. We always go in twos for safety. And I'll start digging a hole. I'll plot my my shovel test location, and it gets a number. I'll start out, if I'm new to this project, I haven't started in it, any other shovel tests. I'll go, okay, my first shovel test is... Uh, MDP-001, and that's my identifier. Cool. And the next one will be MDP-002, <coughs> and so on. I'll keep track of all of my shovel tests. They all get an individual number so we can go back in, in the data and look and see, oh, okay, well, this one was positive, and that was positive, but everything else. And yeah, we can draw maps based off of that. How far deep do you go? Is it like one shovel push in and pull out, and that's the chunk, or do you... Is it like a foot square that you have to dig? Uh, is it just taking off the grass and then, like, what are what are, how, what are your dimensions of your shovel test? That depends, <coughs> again, on state. Different states have different laws. They mm-hmm. have different depth requirements. Depends on the soil. There's some areas that we know sterile soil is a specific. Um, color, texture, something like that. And we have a database that tells us where those sterile soils are. So sometimes we'll go, okay, we only need to dig to the sterile soil. There's not going to be anything underneath it. And the sterile soil could be 10 centimeters because we do it in the metric system. Yeah. It could be 10 centimeters under the surface. You go 10 centimeters, you hit that sterile soil, you can stop. Oh, okay. Other times the parameters have to be, uh, for example, Texas, you have to go, 80 centimeters down, um, which is is pretty deep with a shovel. Used to be 100 centimeters, and that was really deep and really annoying. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, you'll dig down. Normally, you don't have to go that far. Normally, you'll hit sterile soil that you can definitely identify as as sterile soil. 
at like I don't know, thirty to sixty centimeters. Nice. And okay. uh, you dig you dig a shovel test of a very specific size because again we want to know exactly how much soil we've moved. Yeah. So we we have a set depth. We want to go you know eighty centimeters, and this shovel test is going to be thirty centimeters wide in a circle. Okay. And you want perfectly straight whole uh, sides. Wow. No bathtubbing. Okay. So I can I can dig a very beautiful. <laughs> I bet you can. <laughs> I've got lots of practice. <laughs> I bet you can. And we'll do that, and we'll go out and we'll dig that hole, go down eighty centimeters. Nothing. There's no artifacts. We have a screen. We put everything we pull out of the hole into that screen. We sift it and okay. get all of the soil matrix out, and it leaves behind just the rocks or the artifacts. Oh. And a lot of the times when you've done this a lot, you've got a really good feel for your shovel, and you'll oftentimes know you've hit an artifact before it's even in the screen because it'll make a different sound or it'll push in differently or something You're like oh i think this hole is positive and you dump it in the screen and you shift it and the dirt falls out and sure enough you've got a flake which is cool. like the most common thing you'll find whiteware and flakes so pre- white, a white whiteware is a, is a piece of ceramic oh. which is one of the most common historic artifacts we find okay it's just everywhere and then flakes are the most common prehistoric artifact. And it's just a piece of stone that got flaked off from a tool that they were making. It has gotcha. a very distinctive shape. Huh. Interesting. Now, I remember uh, we've been friends for a little, like about a year and a little, oh, almost a year now. Yeah, something I think. like that. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing something from your post over the year about you were walking in a field and you found a bunch of eggs. You kept finding nests where you were you oh, know, yeah, trying I, to find nests for a thing. I didn't see any digging in that one. Yeah, I also work with the biologists. Oftentimes, CRM uh, firms, companies will also have a biological department, and they go in and they survey the same areas we do. Uh, they have slightly different triggers than us, but they're looking for waterways and stuff like that, which is very common where we're working. And they go in and they test for, like, endangered animals or environmental environments that they have to preserve like wetlands or something like that and i go out and work with them from time to time because i kind of cross specialize so yes i was helping the biologists do bird nest surveys so cool uh that was a lot of fun oh man it's so much easier than my job too (laughs) the biologists think their job is hard and they cover they carry around this tiny little shovel when they're doing wetland delineation to, to look at their soil samples. It's this little tiny little spade, and we carry around these gigantic full metal fiskers. Oh, my gosh. Wow. They weigh a ton. It's the best tool for, for digging, though. Uh, we but, are not sponsored by that tool. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good shovel, but they had nothing to do with it. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Uh, um, we are currently in Louisiana, and, and that's because this is a travel podcast because I travel and I know you from Texas, but you are working here at Louisiana at the Renaissance Festival with me, with the jousting group. And um, I'm only mentioning this because I'm curious. Uh, I don't think you live in Louisiana and I don't know if you live in Texas or not, but how far do you travel for not jousting, but for your archaeology work? Uh, mostly I stay around this area because I do a lot of the oil infrastructure survey. Oh, okay. And 
Texas specifically has a lot of oil infrastructure that's always going in. And so yeah, most of my year is, is caught up in that. So I do Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas a lot. Okay. And then if I'm lucky or unlucky, depending upon where I have to go, <laughs> yeah, I'll go do other areas. And sometimes I'll ev- they'll even fly me. I've gone all the way up to North Dakota. Yeah. South. I forget where I, I went. I went. I went north. It was cold up there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, chilly. Yeah, they flew me up there to do some monitoring work. Cool. Flew me back down. Wow, that's amazing. Do you have a certain uniform that you wear when you're being an archaeologist? Yes, high visibility. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to be hunted. Oh yeah, that's a good point because you're probably working in very rural areas yeah i I wander around the woods a lot yeah right during deer hunting season and in the mornings when people are out deer hunting oh my gosh and so wear your deer costume no no i don't wear camo at all no i wear uh, day glow orange okay the high visibility safety color out in the woods yeah i come to really enjoy that color i have (laughs) i have sweatshirts and little Two cats and stuff. They're all in that color just because. I'm like, yeah, safe. Just in case. Safe. Yeah, button. just in case. But other than other than the safety vest, the gear I carry, uh, besides the shovel, I have a screen, and the screen clips onto a backpack for ease of carrying. So I always have a backpack with me. How big is the screen? It. I have. A, I have a. I have one of the big ones. They come in a couple of different sizes. Like okay. this, it, there's no specific size parameter for the screen oh, okay uh, i just happen to have one of the bigger ones because we fight over the smaller ones it's, it's <laughs> the, sh- the office shares the screens so it's gotcha maybe a foot and a half long by maybe a foot wide okay it's it's That's a good size. it's a decent size yeah. yeah you clip it onto the backpack and it like kind of nests over the whole backpack oh cool okay but yeah i clip it to my backpack and then i have my backpack and it's mainly there just to carry my screen and water. And I have other tools in it. But for the most part, when I'm just doing shovel testing, that's all I need is I need to write my notes for my shovel tests. Yeah. And that's on the tablet that gives me my GPS locations anyway. So okay. I normally have that out in my hand and it doesn't tend to go into my backpack. It's every hundred meters or less, I have to take it off and yeah. dig a hole and then put it back on and go <laughs> And then move on to the next hundred meters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, normally I'm just, it's, I do a lot of work in the summer. So it's the coolest temperature clothing I can get that easy swick wicking stuff with pockets for me to put like pretty rocks in. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Do you get to get ground scores while you work? Like, is there an, you know, you see a, I don't know, you can't keep the chip if it was in your dig site, but if you were walking along and you saw, like, a pocket watch on the ground. Oh, yeah, no, 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 I don't, we, very specifically, and I want to stress this, archaeologists do not collect artifacts. Oh, Uh, we're not gonna. We're not going to take anything from anybody. It's your property, it's your land. We just want to record the data. Nice, Um, okay. I have absolutely no inclination even when i'm not working to pick up an artifact i don't want to i don't want to collect it just because it's a conflict of interest yeah yeah. i like i like pretty round rocks and i like little sticks okay (laughs) and i like little cute pine cones 
But yeah, nothing, and those are safe. Yeah, it's because just it's just a rock. Yeah, it's or just, just stuff a stick laying or, around in nature. Okay. Yeah. okay. Every now and then, I'm like, oh, that's a pretty rock. I'll take that. But yeah, I have no desire to take artifacts. All right, and then, an artifact would be something that some human has touched at some point that wasn't just a rock or yes. you know something from nature that nature grew itself. Yes, um, they have. They're very distinctive, you know, historic. Obviously, it's man-made because it's, it's does not found in nature. But, like I said, the flakes, they're just a rock, but they have a very distinctive shape that triggers right. us to go, oh, that's an artifact. Or the harder ones to spot are manuports. What's a manuport? A manuport is an artifact that is some guy or girl or whatever. Yeah. In ancient history, yeah, some human in ancient history or not-so-ancient history was walking around in the woods and saw a pretty rock, mm-hmm. for example, and thought, oh, that's pretty, and they picked it up, uh-huh. and they carried it back to camp, uh-huh. and then they put it down, and they lost it. Oh. And I come along Sad. 50 years or later and find it and go, that rock is not native to this area. Oh. How did it get here? Well, it's in a site, and it's a pretty rock. That's a manuport. Somebody picked it up and oh, manually ported it. Manuport. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's I'm, human nature. Yeah. I I um I have uh, a lot of witchy friends and I'm a little witchy myself. Uh, and so I have a little a couple little altars. But mm-hmm. my altars aren't like I don't burn candle. Well, I didn't have one candle. But I, I don't burn candles to, like, mm. worship and do rites over things. I just collect pretty rocks. Yeah. <laughs> so when I go to the desert and or visit a friend's property or, or something like that, either leave a rock or take a rock. So yeah. I'm messing up with your people in the future is really what my No, no, is. no. You're just, you're doing, you're exhibiting human nature, which we know happens so we, we can anticipate it. Like. That's the reason why archaeology, the the main umbrella degree for it, is anthropology. It's the study of people, oh. and so I we can predict their behavior. Like the reason why we want to dig or test for sites around waterways is because people like to put camps near waterways. It's it's even modern people when they go out in the woods and they just go camping in the woods. Yeah, they're probably going to camp near a stream. Yeah. Yeah, it's just human nature. Human nature, graffiti. Yeah. Ancient Egyptians did it. Modern day people do it. Yeah. They put it in their pyramids. We put it in our bathrooms. <laughs> but you know they're going to do it, so you know to look for it. Are you saying pyramids are bathrooms? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> that's that's so interesting. Um, I, I have a million questions and also have no clue where to go from here. That's It's really cool. Do you have a specific a year or a group of years that you like to focus on? Like, do you have a, a point in history that you're like, man, I love the archaeology of this time period? Yeah, I can, and most archaeologists do. We all kind of specialize in smaller subfields just because there's so much to learn. So my two kind of subspecies, fields are prehistoric ethnobotany ethno ethno oh so people okay Uh, botany plants okay so So pre pre prehistory which means before written yeah stuff yeah 
human mm-hmm. plants. Yes, and how they interacted with domestication or just foraging, stu- ah. using it for textiles, stuff like that. I I really nerd out on finding like plant and pollen seeds in soil samples. It's a little more exacting collection method, but yeah, you you water screen it and you get like like little tiny tiny little seeds and you count how many seeds there are and like oh this is their environment but this seed didn't grow there so they were harvesting this crop and oh oh, yeah it's really cool and then my other field of interest is kind of on the other side is uh historic stuff Uh and i kind of got grouped into that just because i grew up grew up in a historic home uh, a farm uh, from the uh, land run that happened in the Native American oh. territories in Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I remember stories about a land run where it's like you, you just stand in a field with somebody, you're all given red flags, and then you run, and then you put the flag in, and wherever you put the flag in is yours. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. So I grew up on a farm that was established during one of those land runs, wow. and a lot of the farms around me were from that time period, and I just grew up around all of these historic artifacts and so i identify them really easily I'm okay like, yeah accidental into that specialization but i'm like mm-hmm. oh i already know some of this so i'll study it more and now now right. my colleagues come to me to identify windmills and stuff because huh. nobody else wanted to study it i'm like okay yeah sure i'll fill that niche <laughs> that's really cool i love that wow that's so neat all right um have you ever heard of the app and again, I'm not sponsored by this, but what three words? Mm-mm, I haven't. I'll have to show you that. It's it's a website or an app. What three words? And in every three meters of the world, the whole globe is delineated, I think is the mm-hmm, word, mm-hmm. into three meter squares. And there are three words that have been assigned to those that one square and they could be they're not necessarily you know for that particular i mean it's not a descriptive quality it could be juggler kumquat uh, squish mm-hmm. whatever and then you search those three words i'm not sure where that's going to take you so if it takes you to some weird private base i it, that was not my fault i just came up with three words <laughs> But it's really cool if you're going to your meeting at the opera and instead of saying, oh, we're going to meet at blah, 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 opera house. Mm-hmm. You can say, I want to meet you at this square of what three words, these three words square. So maybe you're not meeting at the front door of the opera house. You could meet at the corner of the opera house where it's not as busy and other people are meeting. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really neat app. And so then I, as a curious person, would love to assign because you guys have an archaeologist dig site compendium mm-hmm. of everywhere that's done with GPS coordinates. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the what three words are for some of those sites. Huh. That would be interesting to look up. Just out of curiosity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, what's Where is this one at? You know. Cool. So let's go back in time mm-hmm. to Little Kid Alum. Mm-hmm. And what did Little Kid Alum want to be when they grew up? Little Kid Alum didn't have a plan. I hear that a lot, actually. There wasn't, you weren't like, I love singing or 
Your mom wasn't like, oh, you dance all the time, or I want to be an astronaut, or... No, my mom shot that down. I, I remember the one thing I was like, I want to be a... And she, a jockey. I wanted to be a, jockey? a, a horse jockey. I'm like, oh, cool. I want to be a horse jockey is the only thing I like mentioned. I was kind of off the cuff too. And my mom just turned to me and went, Oh, sweetie, you're going to be too big for that. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, there went that plan. Maybe. I don't know. And uh, I got, I got older and I started thinking, Oh, well, you know, you should go to college. I looked at, you know, the courses in college and nothing, nothing interested me at all. Wow. I don't know. I don't know what I want to be. I don't want to be any of this stuff. I don't I don't want to be miserable in my job. Right. That was, yeah, but other than that, I didn't know. And I really didn't, didn't do anything. I, you know, I, I got jobs in fast food and stuff like that, just mm-hmm. random starting jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was your first job? Uh, I worked at Brahms. Brahms. Yeah, oh, that's the a, ice cream yes, place. Yes, the ice cream place. Oh, I ate at Brahms for the first time when I was in Oklahoma this year. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma Renaissance Festival, which is technically, as of this recording, it was last year's 2022. But um, yeah, that's pretty tasty ice cream. Yeah, it's a good. And I got uh, work credit for it because I, I went uh, when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And so one of my classes was like, I don't know, career training or something like that. And you didn't actually have to go to that class if you had a job. Whoa. So, yeah, I got a job just so I didn't have to go to class. That's pretty cool. But, yeah, I just bounced around in jobs like that without really a plan. And then I realized my life wasn't going anywhere. And maybe I should, like, do something. Because I wasn't happy doing those jobs anyway. Right. So right. I got, I, I thought about it and, like, what, what have I liked consistently throughout the years? That's probably something I could do as a job and not be miserable at and that's a good point that's a that's actually really good advice yeah and i came to the conclusion that i liked the japanese culture and maybe i would like to do like something linguistic oh interpreter translators something like that Mm -hmm. and i would i would get to learn more about their culture Mm -hmm. uh, from from a non-translated, like, I would be the one translating, so right. I would understand it a little bit better. It's not somebody else's bias based on their, uh, right. affecting their translation. Like, that's right. what I'll do. I'll, I will learn Japanese. Okay. And then from learning Japanese, I'll do something in the language field, translation or something like yeah. that. And so I got my act together, and with some help from my family, I went to Japan. And I studied Japanese for three years over there. Wow, how exciting. Yeah, because I'm an overachiever, and yeah. I didn't look and see how incredibly hard Japanese is. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm, I'm not good at languages either. I should have looked into that, but I was already over there, so I was stuck. Yeah, yeah. And it was fantastic, and it was a learning and growing experience for me because my support network was cut off. Uh-huh. And I was by myself, so I had to figure out things on my own. Oh, and my gosh. I went from being kind of a little a little introvert, uh-huh. just wanting people to like me but not having the people skills, yeah. into like, well, I'm the only American here, so I'm the center of attention. Look at me. Be an idiot. But I don't care. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I did that. And somewhere in those three years, I realized that... I didn't, I wanted to go ahead and get a college degree. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was studying linguistics. I was studying uh, language, not any of the other. I'm like, okay, I actually should probably get a full degree, mm-hmm. and I don't want to do that in a second language. My second language, I want to. I'll go back to the states and I'll right. get my degree in the states. But also, um, I don't know if I want to live in Japan or live in the states because. Yeah. So I I came back over here and went to school and somewhere in there. I don't know if it was in Japan or briefly after I came here and started trying to go to school for this, I realized I don't like people. (laughs) And all of the language jobs I was thinking about involved a lot of people. Yeah. And if I was working alone, I'd probably be happy at that job, but having to interact with people so much would probably make me miserable. So... I started getting on the fence about, do I really want to do this as my career? Right. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, the school I chose to go back to didn't have a Japanese program yet. So I was going to I was gonna get my degree in Japanese, and I was waiting for them to finalize their program. Like, it was really close. It just wasn't there. So I was, I was taking all of the, the extra classes you have to take. Yeah. I was taking all of those, and I was running out of classes to take. And my friend suggested to me, well, you have to declare something pretty soon because you're you're out of classes. Why don't you why don't you just declare anthropology and take those while you're waiting for this next semester's semester of that for them to finalize this? Why did they suggest anthropology? Well, they didn't really explain it to me at the time. They, They said, why don't you do anthropology? And I shot it down. That was the end of the conversation. Oh, okay. Uh, but like the next semester rolled around and again, I mentioned that I was running out of classes to take. They're like, well, seriously, you should take anthropology. You like museums. I'm like, what? Me- anthropology doesn't have anything to do with museums. I'm like, oh no, like you know, archaeologists, museum studies, stuff like that, you know, all of that stuff. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> wait a second. You're literally saying what I like. <laughs> they will pay me. To be an archaeologist, to go up, go out and like find artifacts like Indiana Jones, <laughs> that's a job. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. Cool. And yeah, I declared that as my major and started taking those classes, and I am actually fantastic as an archaeologist. Like it all clicks, and very little people interaction. Yeah, <laughs> I work with one person in the middle of nowhere. Right. Yeah, that person had you pegged. Yeah, you knew so exactly what to. Yeah. Get you into. I, I lucked out that they mentioned that off the cuff, and I finally looked into it and realized this is a career field that I didn't even know existed, because most people don't know that archaeology is an actual career you can go into. Yeah, I thought it was some old thing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was some, like, 1920s or earlier thing, and, like, maybe it died out in the 50s, and... You know, but I know it still exists. Obviously, you're sitting right in front of me. <laughs> yeah, and and it's a, it's a huge career field. Yeah. Like, and that was my mom's concern. It's like, well, there's not going to be any jobs. You can study that, but there's no jobs because you think, okay, yeah, that's that, that guy in the, the funny suit that mm-hmm. gives lectures in colleges, whatever. Yeah. Uh, or it's it's the people that do the site excavations in, like, Egypt or something. And that's it. And that's it. Yeah. No, CRM is, like, the biggest field, and it's everywhere, and they always need jobs. Wow. Because everywhere, there's construction projects everywhere. Yeah. And it's it's government law, 
that they have to be surveyed. So wow. they have to have archaeologists out there, and there's not a whole lot of us. So we're in huge demand. Yeah. Like, I would travel more, you know, outside of Texas for jobs, but the demand is so great in Texas right. that I very rarely actually do any jobs outside of there. Cool. That's so cool. All right. Well, if I ever get to do this life over, I might go into anthropology. I didn't realize that that was like a, a thing I could just do. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a really cool field. And it's like, cool. again, we study people. It's like kind of like psychology. Yeah. But we're not trying to fix people. We're just trying to know how you work. Right. Just understand them. Yeah. So you just get to stand around and like look at people and understand how they make they do those behaviors. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, fascinating. So if they were, they if they were doing this, you know, five thousand years ago. (laughs) Right. Right. I I oftentimes when I'm because I drive across the country all year long and and I'm in many different states and I've been doing this for a very long time. This next thing I'm going to describe when I'm driving, sometimes I try to imagine like put an overlay on what I'm viewing, Mm -hmm. for example, and imagine what it would be like traversing the same road, but in pioneer times. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's probably not going to be a road or it would be dirt and I'd only be going like 20 miles an hour at max. Mm -hmm. But um, imagining those rolling hills, maybe they were uh, higher because road uh, earth settles. Um, The wondering what the grooves look like, what the what the path looks like, how many trees were there. And I just like it's like a little imagination game for myself while I'm driving instead of playing the alphabet game or something. Because mm-hmm. I'm usually traveling by myself or um, if I do have a partner and a driver with me, they might be asleep or on the phone mm-hmm. or, you know, something. So I just it's just a nice little diversion from the monotony of (laughs) looking at the vehicles in front of me and paying attention to driving of course Mm -hmm. but do you ever do that as an archaeologist or you're you're so focused on um on the what it is now and what it what it could have been I don't know if that question is clear yeah no I think it's cool that you actually do that because yes I do that too uh I did that before I studied archaeology, and now that I've studied it, I'm a little more informed, and it's a little mind-boggling how much we've changed our environment. Yeah. Because, yeah, I used to think about, oh, yeah, what it would be like trying to, like, get a wagon through here. Mm-hmm. And then now that I know, I'm like, well, it'll actually be pretty easy because this was all grassland at the time. Right. Where now there's a forest. Like, uh, we've it's forested now we've changed that environment we've planted these trees we we've made windbreaks that encouraged underbrush and stuff like that so yeah it would have been really easy back then but then also yeah there's no roads or anything and they're just riding off in a direction and vaguely hoping they're gonna hit it and they do somehow somehow yeah some of them do Mm -hmm. not all of them some, yeah, well, you know, yeah. There's... And then they got to the Rockies and, <laughs> and started eating each other. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, and then we got Alfred Packer and then forget <laughs> it. It's all it's all downhill from there. Uh, cool. Have you ever had, I mean, I would think just in what I do, archaeology would be an odd job. But from archaeology, uh, p- 
putting that aside, that job aside, have you ever had any odd jobs? Like some people's odd jobs are, I think one of my guests was a watermelon on a table at a party. <laughs> but that was a performer thing. That is you a know? very odd job. But so as in archaeology, is there any odd jobs that you've been had had to go to? Odd archaeological jobs. Mm. Well, there's a lot of odd things that happen during excavations. Tell me a couple of them. Please. Well, I don't know if it qualifies as like the odd job. It's just weird stuff that happens because you've got a, a lot of really smart people mm-hmm. doing very hard manual labor mm. in very unwelcoming environmental conditions whilst also trying to keep track of very specific scientific data that the brain breaks sometimes. Actually, pretty much every single time. <laughs> and so some sites have gotten theme songs. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I worked at uh, Spyro, which is probably the biggest, most well-known site in Oklahoma. And the time that I was working there, we ended up with a theme song because uh, this guy was telling us about him throwing up in the shower because <laughs> we share these things. Yeah. Yeah, you work intimately with someone, you're going to get some intimate details. Please, uh-huh. no names. Yeah, well, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he was actually working in a different house unit. He wasn't part of my team. Okay. So I don't remember his name. Perfect. But uh, at breakfast, we were talking about it, and uh, he had drank a lot, because that is, again, another thing that we do. Okay. Uh, and we ate Sloppy Joes, and he threw up in the shower, and he was like, yeah, I was just having an existential crisis about the vomit in the shower, because there was all meat, and there was no bun. <laughs> and we're like, okay, and we we were talking about this later on at the site when our our brains had melted in the sun, and we had came up with a whole theme song about sloppy joes being vomited up, and yeah, I love it. Yeah, so I we sang it. it, and that's actually how we end up getting sites named funny things because they'll have like their their trinomial, and then it'll be called like slippery slope. Oh. And that's because somebody fell down the hill. <laughs> and it was a slippery slope. So everybody just started calling it the site slippery oh, slope. Oh, that's beautiful. So, yeah, my house at, at Spyro was the was the Sloppy Joe song house. Nice. Nice. And uh, now, Spyro from the video game? Spyro? Uh, n- no, I don't think there's a connection. Okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't researched the video game, so I don't know where they got their their name from. But. It's a dragon. Like a yeah, kids, I, I, it's a little game. flappy dragon, but that's yeah. that's all I know about that. Okay, I'm not. So no, that's probably not how they it got it. Probably, name. yeah, probably completely unrelated. All right, cool. But uh, yeah, so yeah, things like that come out of sites, like funny songs or funny jokes or references and stuff like that. But I don't know if it's like considered a funny job. All right, did you have any other odd jobs, maybe not connected to archaeology, but you said you worked at Brahms. That's not necessarily an odd job, but have you? did you ever work as a, like, for example, I've said this a couple times on the podcast already, um, I was a credit card woman for the phone sex company. So I didn't do the phone sex part. Uh-huh. I, was, I took the credit cards of the people before they got called back. Wow, I, I figured it was text. just the sexy talking lady that got the credit card numbers. Nope. 
I did not realize that was its own specific job. Yep, there's a buffer. Because <laughs> you got to weed out the, the creepy phone calls. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll there's a lot it. of heavy breathers that call in. <laughs> and that's about it, you know. I mean, not that's not it, it but then and you, you've got the regulars that mm-hmm. call it. I mean, this was 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. But, yeah, so that I would consider that, for me, an odd job. Mm-hmm. I'm not going into that in my regular world. Uh, yeah, I mean, I worked at Brahms. Uh, when I came back from Japan, I didn't have a work history for the last three years. Nobody wanted to hire me. So I worked at Arby's because fast food will always hire anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And from Arby's, I got a job at Hobby Lobby for a while. Mm. And I also, at the same time, worked at the Archaeological Survey's wet lab. That, I guess that one would be considered an odd job. Archaeological Surveys Wet Lab. What's a wet lab? So when we collect things in the field to bring back to the lab to get more data on them, uh, we take them to a lab. And there is a, a whole building devoted to miscellaneous labs for these for studying things. And they have, they have a, an osteology lab, which has people in it, you know. Uh, skeletal remains and stuff like that. They have the the faunal lab, which is people that go out and get, say, uh, bison kill sites. They'll bring in the animal remains from that to study butcher uh, marks on the bones and stuff oh. like that. And so they have a whole lab devoted to that. Um, the wet lab is designed for when an artifact comes in dirty and needs to be cleaned mm-hmm. or when you need to process flotation samples. Stuff like that. It has sinks and it. It runs water to clean or filter or something like that. Whoa. Woo. Sorry for that loud. I don't know what that was. I, uh, I don't know. But that was exciting. Yeah. Okay. Poltergeist. We're all awake now. <laughs> We're all awake. So, yes. The wet, wet labs. labs. Yeah. And, uh, Skeletons didn't like to be talked about, apparently. Y- yeah. Oh, yeah. Goes, oh, I talked yeah. about the osteology lab. And like, oh, no, you don't tell them where we live. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. So, so you—that's where you clean off artifacts, and um, you're trying to figure out: Do you use the water in any other? I mean, that would be a science archaeologist question, I guess. But do they use the water to um, see the erosion, or or is there like a certain thing that they can use the water to to do? Not not the water. Uh, we do like collect weird soil samples and stuff like that for other like um carbon c4 dating Mm -hmm. so carbon samples will collect and we have to send them off to a very specialized lab but there's a lab to that radiates carbon and tells us how old it is okay and there's thermoluminescent uh spectroscopy i can pronounce that correctly where we go out and we'll collect little grains of sand and you have to collect it at the dead of night with no moon and preferably cloud cover so there's no starlight or anything it's got to be pitch black and you collect sand and you can get it like sometimes out of um, pottery too because they'll use sand and pottery as a as a grog or uh, um, as a material that's not all clay so your clay doesn't explode when you fire it oh but yeah you if you seal this sand away these little pieces of um of a quartzite and some other mineral structures. If you seal it away from light, it's it starts 
kind of a timer to where the last time it saw light and we could take it out and use a very advanced machine to figure out when that was so we know how long it was in that piece of pottery or how long it was buried underneath that stone or whatever wow. so but that's another very specific lab the wet lab that i worked at was mainly focused on doing flotation samples mm-hmm. so it has a setup it has sinks set up to run water through soil samples that we've dried out mm-hmm. really thoroughly and then we get them wet and we filter it through these really fine mesh screens and that's where we get all those little tiny pretty much microscopic seeds and pollens and stuff like that that we collect and analyze um, and besides that we have also a sink devoted to like cleaning bones and stuff like that just to get the dirt off of them it's not super scientific. It's just make it cleaner so we can look at it better. Okay. But, yeah, that was an interesting lab lab to work at because, yeah, I spent most of my time in there by myself mm-hmm. with the, the very relaxing babbling brook sounds <laughs> of my plo- flotation sinks running. And yeah. We actually had water, warm water to run in those so I could actually not stick my hand in ice cold water yeah. when I agitated the soil matrix so nice. you put your hand in a nice little warm tub and listen to the bubbling water mm. and look around and realize you're completely surrounded by dead things because <laughs> it was overflow storage for the faunal uh, lab and so what wasn't completely covered in bags of dirt was covered in animals wow and there was a lot of them in there it's mostly bison but it's just racks and racks and racks and racks of bones wow yeah and uh, my boss was a forensic archaeologist, which is another specialization of archaeologists. He goes out and finds human remains. Oh, okay. And most of the time he's trying to find, like, older human remains. But he also worked with the police department mm-hmm. and helped them find more modern human remains. Because, again, he studies finding bodies. So wow. ancient bodies, modern bodies, it's still... It's the same thing because yeah. again people humans are going to dump humans in the same spot exactly we're predictable right. so yeah and yeah some of my job involved uh cleaning his tools oh and yeah I, i'd clean some of his field tools and he'd bring in he'd help teach the police to how to find bodies and stuff and so he has like these anatomically accurate skeletons and they're all weighted accurately and everything like that I need to bring them in and they just hang out in my lab <laughs> and i'm in there by myself and i'm a weird person so i'd hang out with the skeletons and i i'd prop them up into work <laughs> positions so i had a couple running flotation one day and uh, that's great one guy got run over by the the soil cart and he was on the floor all <laughs> dead <laughs> uh that's hilarious um <laughs> so i would i would think as an archaeologist one of your odd jobs would be the current job that you have here at the Louisiana Renaissance Festival, which is working with the Joust Company. Yeah, yeah, that so, would be an odd job, I guess. For an archaeologist. Uh-huh. So what? Uh, how did you get involved in Renaissance Festivals or jousting? or like? Because you mentioned when you were a kid, you wanted to be a jockey. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that love of horses brought you to joust world yeah it it helped i i grew up around horses so i know how to handle them i I can read their body language i'm i'm safe around a horse 
And that kind of helped me accident into this job, kind of like how I accidented into archaeology mm-hmm. by an off-the-cuff comment. Uh, I was at a little, little tiny medieval fair. And it was their first year running, and it think, I think it had like 10 vendors or something, a little itty-bitty. And they had, they had a joust group. And the joust group was about as itty-bitty and as organized as this little itty-bitty unorganized <laughs> fair was. Yeah. And I was watching them, and one of the guys was having a horrible time with his horse. Like, mm. he couldn't get it lined up in the lane, and he was just walking all over him, and he's kind of swerving out towards the crowd, and then he's oh, dropping his lance, and he's just struggling. And at this point, I'd been in Japan... And I'd been a customer service manager, and I've worked worked a couple of jobs in customer service just telling people what to do. And now I have this mentality that I just take charge. Yeah. And I don't even realize I'm doing it. And I'm like, I see a problem. This guy has a horse that's acting up. He needs somebody to head that horse. Yeah. I'm just going to go over there and do it, which you're not supposed to do. Don't do that. You are not supposed to do that because they only trust the people that they know and that the horse is around. (laughs) They don't know if this person that's coming up towards them knows anything about horses Correct. and it's dangerous and you're not covered on their insurance and right. stuff like that. Right. But I so, did it anyway. Right, yeah. Um, so do not do this to get a job with Justin. <laughs> yes, do not do it. They will they will not approve. But yeah, uh, it, I went up there and I started heading his horse, which made it safer mm-hmm. because he, at least he was no longer threatening to walk over the crowd of like six people. Right. But yeah, I, I headed up his horse and fed him into the lane and I handed up his lances and they actually managed to finished the show with my assistance and they were very appreciative because mm-hmm. they really did need the assistance and I got to chatting with them and they invited me to, to help them with their other shows at that fair and I helped them and they invited me to come to another fair and I helped them with that one and one of the one of the people there actually worked with this jazz group the one that I'm currently employed by and they, this group was short, and they said, hey, well, I know this, this other girl from this other jazz group, but she's competent, she knows horses, she could come help here. Perfect. And so I came and I helped them, and this is, this is a, this is a long-standing jazz group here. They're professionals, they've been doing it a long time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a legit company. The other one was just like a little startup, and it's, it's, it's kind of fallen apart, but. Right, I, right. From that, I got transferred over to this one, which I've been working for for four five years. Wow, nice. Yeah. And I only do a couple. I don't travel with them full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do a couple of their bigger fairs and ones that I feel like going to. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I work for them. Uh, I do the squiring, and then I also do the horn booth because they have uh, the big parent company is mainly a joust troop and they do joust shows and it's full contact jousting and it's really cool because it's it's not choreographed it's not planned that's good but you you go out and you actually see a real joust and i like that i'm a big on quality yeah uh it's dangerous it's super dangerous but it's also a lot more fun i think there, there is something to be said about knowing who the victor is going to be. Uh-huh. Um, to some people, they, they just really like that. But I prefer to have the, I like improv a lot. 
And I think there's a lot of improvisation that can come from not knowing who, I mean, they both can be good guys and they mm-hmm. both could be bad guys. And you're trying to find the victor of the day or the victor of the show. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really exciting. You know, that's, yeah. that's the part I like. It's the, the variety, the improv of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I like this group. It's like, they're, it's a really good quality show and they're good quality performers and you know they kind of have a plan but it doesn't always go to that and they just make it up on the on the fly yeah yeah <laughs> and it's generally always a really good show like sometimes we right. can't even we can't even do the jousting because it's raining right and like oh well we want to do something for the crowd and so they'll go out and do like i don't know a sword fight or they'll go out and do armor demonstrations let people actually come up and touch the armor and go holy cow, this stuff is real. Yeah, it's like, real and it's real heavy. Oh, yeah, it is. And like, we'll, we'll let people like hold the helmet and stuff like that wow. and realize how much weight that just that is sitting on, on someone's head. head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, I do that. I do the squiring and then I do the, the horn booth and we do horse rides too. So we do a variety of things in this group. It's not just the it's show. It's not just jazz. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Do you have any side hustles or did you have any side hustles at all? Um, did you create anything? Did you, I don't know, whatever your side hustle would be. Not really. I have, I have research cause that's what I do now. Apparently I have researched side hustles <laughs> Yeah. and, and thought about them and but you haven't dug into anything yet. No, uh, between archeology span and, and the jousting, I'm, pretty busy okay uh, i don't have a whole lot of spare time and the spare time i do have i i devote to my weird hobbies like doing cargo conversions and tiny homes and collecting driftwood and stuff like that cool yeah. cool so how about a passion project is there anything that you're like man i just love this i would i think maybe your hobby of of conversion would be a conversion homes would be a good passion project yeah, that's probably my number one passion project is making alternative tiny living spaces and slash collecting trailers because I apparently collect trailers. But yeah, I bought um, I bought a cargo conversion trailer, which is what we're sitting in right now, and thought, oh, well, that's that's OK, but I could make it better. And so that's currently been my project is is changing it to fit all of my needs just whacking off a piece and changing it to something new and when i get done with this and when i get tired i'll sell it and i'll sell it for profit so yeah. i guess it's kind of a, a side business it's definitely a side hustle yeah for sure and yeah my other projects i'm sure whenever i get tired of them i'll sell them again for profit so yeah it's a yeah. side hustle Woo-hoo! yeah good job good job um and if you are on patreon work patreon.com slash work history you might see a video or a picture of Loom's amazing space. So uh, get on that and check it out. All right. Um, another question. Where do you see yourself in five to ten years? I have been contemplating this because my job, both of my jobs are really hard on my body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I understand that I'm going to fall apart. Yeah. And so my future plan is actually to transition from field work to lab work. Okay. So I would like to to switch over to maybe going back to doing uh, flotation sample processing or cleaning, or I might 
go ahead and do like uh, get a little additional education in restoration mm-hmm. work and then do like museum restorations and stuff like that. Something that's not going to be hard on my body. It's going to put me in an air conditioned <laughs> right. environmentally controlled room uh-huh. that is not going to tear my joints up any more than they already yeah, are. Yeah. For cleaning, can anybody get a job like that or do you have to have studied anthropology in college or or on your own to have to be able to get a job in in just the cleaning portion if you're going to do like uh museum quality artifacts and stuff like that you're going to have to have a degree in it um for shovel testing what i do it's not super complicated you could teach someone how to do it but in order to do it legally, you have to have a degree right, in right. archaeology. So it's the same thing. People could learn it and do it as like a side hobby, but to do it legally and professionally and for like museums and stuff, you need to have the certain required certificates and licenses. And stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, because I, I clean a mean house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've, I've cleaned for work before just cleaning someone's home or or a business or something mm-hmm. um, during a week. Like I cleaned a realtor's home that they were flipping, for example. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like to just clean stuff every once in a while. Um, and I was just wondering, just curious. Yeah. No, this is, this is some stuff that if you screw it up, it could be the only one in the world. Right. So let's not. That ever existed. And person. yeah, they, they want to make sure that whoever has that in their hands is not going to drop it. Yeah. Or steal it. Right. Or use the wrong chemical on it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like that fresco that was mm. oh, yeah. repainted mm-hmm. um, from the lovely grandmother. Yeah. Who the, did a very... The Jesus. Yeah. Very interesting job on that painting. Um, yes. There's been a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. So Conservators just look at that and go... <laughs> right. If you could go back in time and get plopped into your high school self body with everything that you already know... But you'd still have to like relearn processes and and get degrees and stuff. Would you choose the same path? I probably would. I I I'd say I might cut out the, the whole Japanese trip, but it was a very good learning experience. And again, I studied people. Like it's a completely different cultures. Right. So yeah, I think I would probably do all of it over again. I am very happy in my job. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. Uh, I have and will probably do in the future it for free. Like, even as a hobby, I will do this without people giving me money. <laughs> <laughs> right. I prefer to get paid, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, mm, I might have started studying it earlier. Because, mm-hmm. again, there's so much stuff that you can learn and just the more you can cram into your brain the better Mm -hmm. he said we have specialists and they specialize because people can't remember it all right we have we have lithic specialists and we have what's a lithic uh stone tools oh okay so like the main categories for are like um potsherds people do pottery and stuff like that um there's a whole field of people that study those because, again, they have different tempers and stuff in them. And they're use, using different clays and different heating techniques and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. 
So there's the pot people, and there's the stone people, the lithic people, and there's the bone people, the faunal people, uh, and then those are the subcategories of, like, prehistoric. Mm. So, yeah, I might have studied more so I could have a broader field of study. I'm, I don't know, I'm, I might have studied a different area. Like, I fell into uh, historics just because I grew up around it. Mm-hmm. But had I planned it out, I might go, oh, well, I would like to study, uh, and I thought about this for a time, doing um, Jaman, which is a time period in Japan, mm-hmm. archaeology. And then I would have started studying that from the beginning. Because, wow. again, yeah. I have to learn a different culture. It's not just what's around me. I have to right. be able to identify all of these artifacts that I've never seen in person. And, right, yeah. Know, different culture, different language, completely different environment. It's on an island. It's on a cold island. Wow. Well, the later stages of it, they were, like, all over Japan. But the culture got pushed up into Hokkaido. But, yeah, they say there's just a whole bunch of extra stuff that I would have to study to specialize in that. And at this point, I thought about it, but I'm like, I'm too far behind. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be able to be a decent archaeologist in that field currently. Yeah. That's so, that is really interesting. You have such a, such a great, I want to talk to you forever about this stuff. <laughs> uh, all right. But I do have one last question because okay. we are at that, we are at that time. Do you have any advice for anybody who, would like to get involved in archaeology or anthropology or would like to have a job in those fields in that field yeah there's a lot of people that come up to me and say oh your job is so cool i wish i could do like a little dig or something like that like even just like people who want to do it as as a, a little hobby and i would say to them if you're in the states and probably in other countries too but I'm based out of America, so I know our system. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every state that I know of has a little organization, a little kind of club or society or whatever that does this mm-hmm. uh, with state-funded, state-organized, state-sanctioned archaeologists. And you can join that club. And, for example, in Oklahoma, it's the OHS, Oklahoma Historical Society, they work with the University of Oklahoma to do a fall and spring dig. And the archaeologists have a site, the, the university archaeologists have a site that they want to excavate, and they will use the people in this, this historical society to excavate the site for them. And okay. so you have archaeologists, you come out, you don't know anything, they say, okay, well, here's your unit. This is how you're going to dig, and they'll pair you up with somebody. Who like, knows? Yeah, oftentimes it's a student, an archaeological student from the university. Cool. They will help teach you our methods and supervise you and show you how to write down all the data correctly and stuff like that. So you get to live that experience, and you can test it out, and you can go, yeah, I like this. I, I could study this. And then, yeah, go into school. Or you can go, oh, this is really cool, but I probably don't want to do this as a career. Yeah. But I can go out and dig. And hey. it's 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 archaeology the right way, as opposed to finding a site and then just 
collecting artifacts and taking them home and like putting them up on your wall and you don't know anything about those projectile points but you're like i found a thing right <laughs> right yeah no you can go out there and you can find a thing and an archaeologist will go yeah that's a gary point and it was made by this culture and they made it this way and it's made out of this chart and they'll give you all this really cool information my mind would be blown yeah like they're super cool and like it's like, I don't know, 30 bucks for a year subscription membership into these Whoa. societies. Yeah. And the, those that archaeologists. That could be a good present for somebody. Yeah. You know, some sort of a gift for someone. Yeah. And these, they'll give, those archaeologists will like come to the club meetings and give lectures and stuff. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just a good opportunity. <laughs> That's great advice. Thank mm -hmm. you. Well, Alum, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for being on Work History. Um, thank you. Well, I was happy to be here. Yeah. Well, we're going to end the show now. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I am your host, Cassie Townsend. The theme song is wrapped by Greg Listraps. Chris Kempton is our associate producer. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash workhistory. And the show notes have additional information on Illum. Remember to rate, review, share, and subscribe. So, what's your work history? 